Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make, but today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. So here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep that new lower rate. Either way you win, it's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash anik. Rocketmortgage.com slash A-N-I-K. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year transaction purchases. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLSConsumerAccess.org number 3030. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Well, you talk about a downgrade flow. We do our annual in-studio episode together in L.A., and now we're going Skype in Boca Raton, Florida, and somewhere near Pauly's Island, South Carolina. I'm not going to give your exact location away, but <laughs> I know, dude. See what happens? We, we, we got together. We were too close, and now we want our, we want our space a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we we got our space back. That was fun, yeah. though. I got to tell you, and I was. Dude. Some of our I wish listeners we could do that may know. Week, I, honestly, I know. I've been trying to convince my wife to move to Los Angeles, or really back to Las Vegas, but to move back to the West Coast since we left, and uh, it's just too far for her uh, away from family. But we we yeah. got to figure out a way to get in the same state at some point in time. You know, make things easy and just go back to Massachusetts. Just a little too dude. cold, I guess. Do we have do we have enough money in the Anakin Florian uh, <laughs> podcast budget to, to get a private jet? Can we do that? Is that I mean, is that possible? We certainly don't have enough money to live in L.A. or Boston, <laughs> at least right now. Although we do one in studio episode, and all of a sudden we have four sponsors this week, so we're appreciative See of that? that. I mean. 
Quicken Loans has been there every step of the goddamn way, but a couple newbies this week as well, so yeah. we appreciate that. Uh, it is Monday, August 6, 2018, episode 166, Anakin Florian podcast, East Coast vacation for the flow, uh, but you can be sure he's working, doing a podcast here on a Monday. So last week, I uh, got that Vegemite bet out of the way, and... <gasps> You know, the Aussies, God love them, but some of them still think we're missing the point, like that we still don't understand how this stuff can be ingested in an appetizing way. Right. No, guys, listen, it, it was <laughs> uh, it, it was a punishment for Annex. So what are we going to do? Spread some nice butter on there on toasted bread and yeah. lightly spread some Vegemite? Come on. This was a punishment. Annex had to pay for yeah, losing it. to the flow. This is what happened. And I know Kyle Noak and the rest of them, Anton Zaffer, former UFC fighter as well, I think they want us Americans and Europeans to to want to like this stuff and incorporate it into our diets, and uh, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Yes, so uh, exactly. So we, we'll move on from that, but it was fun to see you uh, in studio. And real quick, we got so much to get to today, but the Boston Red Sox are 45 games over 500 on August 6th. And just swept the Yankees four straight. You see Matt Damon in the building at UFC 227, by the way? I did see that. I was like, who is that guy with the Red Sox hat on? And then they did the close-up, and it was Matty D. So he was on the cans all night. He was sitting at the uh, at the Dana White table with Ari Emanuel and those guys. And he was listening to the broadcast the whole time, super into it, very into the Demetrius yeah. Johnson-Henry Cejudo fight. And, of course, repping the local nine wearing the Red Sox hat. Did you hear I, I acknowledged that he was wearing it to remind everyone that the Red Sox had beat the Yankees three straight, or did he miss that Of course one? I did. Of course okay. I did. All right. Text me that, kid. Text me. <laughs> Actually, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking I would pay you per text message during these pay-per-views. If you have something insightful, I'll give you – Give you like five bucks a text if I use it on the air. I'll do that. And just, you know, I'll when you're that. not working the desk, I know when you're working the desk, you want to save all those nuggets. But, kid, I'm out right. there, man. Throw a guy a line. I know. Um, I know. Right, we we don't work, to we get don't to work today. the commentary uh, anymore. I got I to gotta give you some nuggets. Well, you'll yeah. be back. You'll be back in a big way. Uh, great atmosphere, though, at Staples Center. Big night, UFC 227. We'll get into all of that. Uh, we'll talk to Alex Perez. You might have missed his fight on UFC Fight Pass, but. Mm. Big win for him over the previously unbeaten Jose Shorty Torres. So Perez coming up. Uh, James Vick fighting Justin Gaethje in a main event later this month. Lincoln, Nebraska. Both those guys pretty fired up at the press conference. So we'll grab a few minutes with James Vick as well. Uh, might even talk to Eric Albaracin and Henry Cejudo later. A lot of things uh, in the hopper and uh, no time to waste. Ray Longo coming up as well. Let's get to headlines. Headlines. It's time for headlines. I have some very urgent and important breaking news headlines on the john annick and kenny florian podcast all right well the headline of all headlines was friday ufc 229 habib versus connor um but i'm gonna bury the lead today because tj dillashaw deserves to lead this fine program uh rematch with cody garbrandt ken flo and and it's two nil tj now in the series both of the wins by knockout i would think this one was particularly sweet because it closes this series, and Cody has been the man on yeah. his radar for 18 or 24 months and probably isn't going to fight this guy anytime soon. So nicely done by TJ Dillashaw. For me, at least sitting there live, man, this is one of the best fighters pound for pound that I have ever seen. Yeah, nicely done indeed. And TJ Dillashaw, a guy who just has so many different weapons that he can utilize out there, uh, getting it done against another dangerous guy, Cody Garbrandt, uh, I-, I thought was just an amazing finish. Uh, he is slick. He is vicious. Um, he has an ability to go out there and draw Cody out of his game. And, and you could see TJ kept kind of poking and prodding at Cody, trying to get him emotional. 
And there was a tension in, in Cody of understanding that he couldn't get emotional, but you could see he was holding something back. And when you get this tremendous um, frenetic energy like Cody Garbrandt, um, you kind of had this feeling it was either going to go really well for him or really badly. Uh, and in the end, it went really badly for him. Um, started to kind of get in a firefight, and, and that was not what he needed to do. He needed to be disciplined. Uh, he couldn't get emotional, um, and he paid for it, uh, unfortunately. you know. And, and TJ Dillashaw went on to confirm himself as one of the greatest bantamweights, if not the greatest bantamweight of all time. Um, so a, a very interesting story, uh, certainly, certainly a closing to the story between these two. Um, yeah. And uh, TJ Dillashaw, man, uh, I see him being absolutely one of the greats uh, in this sport. And I know you have a huge appreciation for how technical he is. And, but I think sort of something that's more intangible, I guess, is the happiness and the calmness and the, com- the comfort in combat. I mean, and James Vick, who we're going to talk to later today, he's another guy. They're just so happy to be in an octagon fighting another man, Kenny. And I know you and George St. Pierre didn't necessarily have that emotion, right? Like you're more relaxed pumping gas than fighting a man in an octagon. And for TJ, yeah. he's smiling, and maybe that's not fair, Kenny. And I know, you know, obviously you had a lot of uh, – whatever you did worked, obviously. But I think for TJ, he – every time – you know, it's like, how's fight week? Honestly, I love this shit, man. Oh, how'd you feel in there? Honestly, I love it. I mean, he's smiling from the minute he touches down in there. And it, it looks like a sparring session for him. And I think that is a big sort of cornerstone of his success. Obviously, he found Dwayne Bang Ludwig early, and he has added to that and evolved and – and really taking care of his body. And you sort of heard some intimations there that maybe he wasn't all that healthy and there were some nagging injuries, but really a special fighter. And, and we'll, we'll try to table the, the greatest bantamweight of all time thing for a second and more center on who is going to be next for TJ and where Cody goes from here. I think for TJ there are three options, and I'm not sure if there's going to be a super fight with Henry Cejudo, so that's really not the direction I'm going. I think it's either going to be Marlon Marais, Dominic Cruz, or Rafael Asuncao. Asuncao and Marais fought head-to-head, Kenny, right? And that mm-hmm. fight went to Rafael Asuncao. But Marlon Marais, by virtue of what he did to Jimmy Rivera and ending that 20-fight winning streak, I think probably has a stronger case than Rafael Asuncao. Dominic Cruz mm-hmm. hasn't fought since 2016, um, but he has a win over TJ Dillashaw and is the other guy in the conversation, his greatest bandweight of all time. So out of those three, promotionally speaking or as a fan, in which direction do you think they'll go? Uh, this is a tricky one. Listen, as, as far as the most exciting fight um, and just kind of coming off of the momentum of what both of these fighters have done, I think you got to go with TJ Dillashaw and Marlon Moraes. Um, you know, I, I think that is uh, an amazing fight. Uh, and you're talking about guys who have an offensive arsenal uh, that could uh, really entertain um, that is kind of uh, – it's tricky when you're breaking both those guys down because both those guys um, are quite similar in how they approach the offensive side of things. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's the fight to make. I, I think the one with Dominic Cruz has the history, certainly. And yeah. you look at what Dominic Cruz has done in this sport, obviously deserves yeah. it. Uh, Javier Sunsau has just kind of quietly uh, been winning, you know, all along. And, and I yep. think that he definitely deserves uh, a shot. Um, you know, as far as maybe what's fair, if that means anything, I think Rafael right. Sunsau should probably get it. But as far as 
the business of the UFC. And if they want to make the most exciting fight that the fans would want to see, I think Marais and Dillashaw is probably the way to go. Asun Sao has fought Dillashaw twice, beat him once by split decision, and then Dillashaw was dominant in that second meeting. So I think there isn't a ton of appetite, with all due respect, for a third meeting between TJ Dillashaw and Rafael Asun Sao. Marlon Marais was the first name out of my mouth because I think he is most deserving. Uh, I was in Utica, New York, and saw him do what he just did, and that came on the, on the heels of what he did to Aljamain Sterling. I just think in terms of finishing guys and what he has accomplished most recently, despite the close loss to Rafael Asuncao, uh, I think Marlon Marais should be the guy. In terms of Dominic Cruz and, and, and Cruz and his case for this fight or his case as the greatest bantamweight of all time, you know, I'll start by saying, yes, he's one of my best friends and a broadcast partner, but that never comes into the conversation, right? And this weekend, everybody thought we were banging on Cruz, which wasn't the case, and anointing TJ the greatest bantamweight of all time. I understand Dominic Cruz hasn't fought since 2016, but that was the year in which he beat TJ Dillashaw. So I can understand why they'd be motivated to make that fight. I can also understand why TJ, when asked after the fight, had some pause in giving Dominic that opportunity because when TJ lost a close fight to Dominic, razor thin in my opinion, January 2016, TJ had to work hard to, to build himself back up and get into that championship situation. So, you know, for TJ, he felt like Cody was was maybe unjustly rewarded and now maybe they would slot Dom in when there are other guys like Marlon I sitting out there. So I like the fact, Flo, that TJ Dillashaw wants to fight on paper the most deserving guy and you and I agree right now that's probably Marlon Marais yeah and and again um, for the UFC you want to put together the most exciting fight possible uh, a fight that everybody wants to see um, and no disrespect to any of the other 135 pounders out there that are at the top uh, of the division but I I think a fight between him and Marlon Marais is the most scintillating matchup you can make right now uh, based on what they bring to the table and how they fight in their aggression, uh, in their uh, technique, and all of the stuff that they bring into the octagon. As far as Cody Garbrandt is concerned, I, I know he regrets sort of the way he fought and maybe the inability to make immediate adjustments, and then this fight was over, of course, in the first round, quicker than the first fight between these two. Um, but in terms of where he goes from here, you know, he doesn't cut a lot of weight. I'm never in favor of a guy dropping down, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Cody Garbrandt drop down to flyweight. Um, But as much as we want to sit here and credit T.J. Dillashaw's performance, and we should, um, Cody Garbrandt's style is such that he puts this chin in harm's way. Even though he was 11-0 before running into Dillashaw the first time, he did have two losses as an amateur, 32-1 as an amateur boxer. So there's some, you know, chin chin strikes being taken there. You know, played middle linebacker in the state of Ohio, and that's one car crash after the next. Um, There's a lot of of cerebral damage up there, I would think, Ken Flo, and uh, I think you have to at least talk about Garbrandt's chin in this conversation and wonder how it's going to hold up against these elite bantamweights that can find that chin of his. Yeah, and I think more than anything else, listen, uh, anyone's chin can be susceptible when you're out there with four-ounce gloves. Um, You know, the fact that he's getting knocked out or getting uh, hurt repeatedly against a guy like TJ Dillashaw doesn't necessarily mean he's got a weak chin. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you do have to consider all that other previous experience, the football, uh, experience, the amateur boxing, uh, the amateur, uh, mixed martial arts, you know, all the fights that he's had at the high level and the pro level, um, those will certainly take its toll. Right. So I think for him, I think it comes down to really adjusting his style. And, and we talked about 
how uh, he really needed to play the counterfighter. He needed to be the bullfighter here against TJ Dillashaw. He started out doing that. He was finding success, and then he decided to kind of keep his hands, uh, keep his feet planted in the canvas, and just trade with his hands. Um, not not the right not the right idea. Now, while I think that Cody probably hits a little harder than TJ Dillashaw. Um, it's still not the right thing to do. You don't want to trade when you're in the pocket like that against anybody because you're you're just throwing the dice, and that's not a good thing to do. TJ Dillashaw hits very hard himself, um, but uh, I think Cody got a little too excited, got a little too emotional yet again. And, you know, you were talking about TJ. I I think TJ gets a little emotional myself as well. You know, I think he's able to control it way better uh, than Cody, but it's, it's just still hard to wrap my head around seeing... Cody Garbrandt, the guy that fought Dominic Cruz, and now the Cody Garbrandt that fought TJ Dillashaw. I, I don't right. know if, if Cody Garbrandt was out there fighting for himself or perhaps fighting uh, maybe with with uh, you know the shield of, of Team Alpha Male, you know, and kind of trying to defend that team a little bit too much and taking on that pressure and all that stuff and having yeah. to fight for those guys and prove. You don't want to bring any of that in. It's always at the end of the day about what that fighter in front of you is doing. And it wasn't about that that night. And it wasn't about that, uh, you know, the previous fight, the previous time those guys fought. It, there yeah. was a pressure on his shoulders. There was a weight on his shoulders. He wasn't just um, being present and seeing exactly what was in front of him. He was really out there to try to hurt TJ or, or do something that wasn't really there. And he was forcing that knockout and instead got knocked out himself. So, um, you know, unfortunate result there for, for Cody. Yeah, and I would argue he would have the speed and power advantage over most guys in this division, right? If you count that early slip by Dillashaw, a knockdown, and maybe they would, that's eight knockdowns in as many UFC fights for Cody Garbrandt. I mean, he's knocked down the other guy in every single UFC fight at 135 pounds. Heady stuff. Um, but TJ, too, in some of the mo- those emotional moments, I feel like he has a lot of confidence in his chin. It was one of the first things he said post-fight was that, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm okay in, in the pocket because I have a lot of confidence in my chin. Um, Ray Longo coming up in 60 seconds. First, though, this from Simply Safe. A lot of things to love about Simply Safe. For me, though, it's about details. These guys really obsess over the details. It's why the alarm system is so good, frankly. So... Not a broken window at your home right now necessarily, but a typical glass break sensor can get fooled with a false positive. I drop a plate like every month, like 12 a year. Uh, baby crying at your house could set something off. Ken Flo's daughter actually never cries, um, but you get the point. <laughs> baby crying, not ideal. Simply Safe, though, wanted to ensure accuracy. So to that end, they have a glass break test facility, 10,000 live simulations, not a computerized simulation, live to refine the technology, which can now differentiate between a baby crying and a broken window. Level of detail Simply Safe puts into everything they do that really sets them apart from other security systems. Simply Safe system designed so you will never notice it too, never have to think about it. It's that easy and intuitive. Uh, no contract as well. They are constantly working to earn your business. 24-7 monitoring with police and fire dispatch, $15 a month. It is the best round-the-clock protection you can find. So protect your home today. Order your Simply Safe security system today at simplysafe.com. And Simply Safe will also donate one to a family in need. Simplysafe.com slash Anik. That's simplysafe.com slash Anik. All right, let's get to the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. 
And the great Ray Longo now joins us. Man, this guy looks better every week. I know you were on hold <laughs> listening to Ken Flo wax poetic on this TJ Dillashaw Cody Garbrandt fight. Just in terms of not trying to take any shine away from TJ, but highlighting some of the, the things Garbrandt maybe could have done better. Uh, what do you think about Flo's assessment of what we saw in the main event Saturday night? No, I think Ken Flo's right on the money. I think what Ball always. Uh, but what, what bothers me about this is that, uh, and again, the, uh, TJ's a great fight. There's absolutely no question about that. But this, to me, was a very winnable fight for Garbrandt. He brings too much baggage into the ring with him. His emotion for this was not good. But even with that being said, like what Kenny was saying, just definitely for too emotional, and that, that leads to recklessness. Uh, everything you could do to throw a right hand wrong he did I mean if you look at the tape he throws the right hand he brings his right foot up with it he's parallel he's squared up he doesn't move his head he kept his head on the left side he took that shot while his feet were parallel I mean like unacceptable at that level and I think yeah. he could have he had the power you could see even Dillashaw's face after the fight I mean he was busted up if this guy would have fought with a little more calmness and controlled his emotions I'm saying he wins that fight. Right, and that's the thing. It's not like Cody isn't capable. Cody knows better than that. That is exactly. his, his, his poor, is that is poor decision-making on his part, and that is his emotions getting the better of him because this is such a capable fighter, a guy who has tremendous vision in there. He's a tremendous counterpuncher. He can move his head. We saw that against Dominic Cruz. We saw flashes of brilliance in that, even in this last fight, in the early on against TJ Dillashaw. And he just planted his feet in the canvas and said, Come on, let's see who's tougher, and that's not the way to go against another dangerous fighter like T.J. Dillashaw. Exactly, and I definitely don't want this even taken the way that we're taking anything away from Dillashaw. The guy's phenomenal, right. he, and I think he they knew that, that this guy was going to be emotional, and he just yeah. sat in that pocket, and he looked at a wide-open target because the other guy was just, he was out of control. He And you could yeah. see he hurt Dillashaw again. If he would have just relaxed and regrouped mm -hmm. and stayed emotionally balanced, I really mm -hmm. believe he's winning the fight. And I could be 100% wrong, but, you know, again, I think even looking at the damage to, to Dillashaw's face, I mean, in a short period of time, imagine another 15 minutes of that. Yeah, right. You know? You so. know, you lost fifty dollars, Ray. Instead of winning a right. hundred, you lost fifty of your two hundred dollars. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm doing this. I tell you, I'm a sore loser. You know what, you know what no, it is, John? You're, you're taking. I know what's going on here. You're taking advantage of a gambling mentality. I'm gonna end up. I'm gonna end up owing you money. I know where this is going. It's like I'm no. up at the tables, two thousand no. dollars. I'm gonna go home broke i know no. where this is going he knows what I, he's doing right he knows what he's no, doing he's let me a very that. calculated ken it's a very yes. calculated thing he is let, let he me is. let me say something about the uh the other fight too uh mighty mouse i really thought mighty mouse won that fight i really did i thought he won it three two and i think this is what happened because i had a discussion with somebody the other day i think this guy's been so fucking good that anytime anything negative happened to him they took that as like a big deal like the guy, no damage on the floor, but he's never really been on his back for that length of time. And I really think that kind of hurt him with the judges. Because I think if you look at the fight, and again, Cejudo, great fight, fought a great fight. I just think 3-2 uh, TJ would have been a really fair decision. But it wasn't the type of thing where, you know, the other guy won and you were totally surprised. Because like going into the fifth, I'm like, wow, this guy, he's in the fight. You know, he's definitely 
right where he wants to be. But I really believe that's what happened with the judges, that this guy has been so perfect that any negativity during those rounds, they just gave it to the other guy. Ray, I, I agree with you there. I also think not only was it that, I also think leg kicks. Is anybody scoring leg kicks anymore? You know, they hurt, right? The, the uh, judges I mean, know I that they hurt and they score, yeah. right? I think the uh, Johns fight proved that they're pretty freaking devastating. The guy couldn't I, it, even walk. It's unbelievable. Know. Listen, I think yeah. the round in question—the round in question was that second round. That that yeah. really was the difference. I think the only one who gave it to Demetrius Johnson was for Marcus Versalis. And if you look at the the significant strikes that were landed, I think it was 15 of 29 for DJ, 11 of 33. And you look at the takedown; he didn't do anything with it. He landed exactly. two little strikes. He threw two strikes, and I'm not sure those two strikes on the ground even landed. So are we yeah, saying and, and, and that, Kenny, that Demetrius outstruck him, and we're going to give the round to him because of a takedown, and he didn't do anything with it? I, uh, Kenny, I, I mean, can't agree. What are we more. doing? Let's not, let's not forget that this is the most dominant bantamweight. I mean, or uh, whatever weight tiger bantamweight I think he is, right? Flyweight. He's flyweight, the most. Yeah. yeah, flyweight. He's the most dominant flyweight. Ever. I mean, how do you not give the guy to – I mean, and I'm not saying you have to score like that, but oh. I don't think he earned that round. I think two – I had a one-two definitely for, for Mighty Mouse. And then when it got to, like, the fourth, I'm like, you know what? Somebody could have given him the other round. I mean, I could see that happening. But I got to tell you, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you're, you're dead on with that. And, and and you got to look at, listen, I, I, Henry Cejudo is an amazing fighter. I knew him exactly. before he was even in the UFC. He's tremendous. But are we going to score the three takedowns? He, he shot 11 times. He hit, right. he hit three of those takedowns. One of them, he was able to keep him on the ground, and that was it. So right. I, I don't know. You know, those eight takedowns that he stopped, we're not going to give to Demetrius? I don't know. See, no, I disagree with you. I disagree with both you motherfuckers. But I love you, really? and I respect your authority. And I know that, hey, can you, you know, uh, I've never fought a man John, in a cage. John, can you keep your tone down a little bit, please? <laughs> well, that, here's the thing. Like, the first thing you should do is throw out the commentator scorecard. And Kenny knows that as well as anyone, okay? Because you're calling the fight, and your focus is not on the judges necessarily. Um, but I just felt like it was effective grappling and wrestling from Henry. And I do feel like he deserved credit for the ground control. You're right, Kenny. The strikes weren't super effective, right? But he took him down, uh, in rounds two, four and five, I believe, and was able to keep him there and control the man. He, he only did one. He only kept him down for about 30 seconds. And again, let's say uh, this is a fight, John. We have to remember it is a fight. Not so if I take match, you right. down, if I take you down and I'm holding you, am I beating you up? Am I no? I mean, you're not doing damage, you? but I think you're you're okay, minimizing well, what, if, what DJ what like DJ to, can't get back to his feet. To me, that's effective. Okay, what if yeah, I have I don't him think to up against the, the cage the first... and you're not moving? Am I am I effective as a grappler? Am I are you scoring that round for me? He was effective enough to keep the position, and I guess maybe I'm I'm under crediting DJ for what he did on the feet in that round. I certainly should have rewatched the second round before the show today. No, wait, um, exactly. Ray, I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, John. I'm going to say if nothing happened standing up, like nothing, it was a stalemate. Then I give the round to Cejudo. Then he did something. He took the guy down. He controlled him. But I don't think it negates what uh, Demetrius did before. You know, before and he that, did, he, he literally and he, and held him down thing, for about yeah. thirty seconds. He held him down for about 30 seconds. From there, Demetrius was able to get him off, elevated him, got into a single leg. And then Henry Cejudo is using the inside of his thigh to throw shoulder strikes. Now, again, I like that he was staying busy. 
Are you really hurting a guy with the inside of your thigh, uh, uh, inside of your thigh, Ray, to hurt no, someone's I mean, that, shoulder? No, I mean, that's the way. Let me tell you something, Kenny. Like, you know this as well as I do. That's the way you train when you don't want to hurt somebody. Right, <laughs> right. And that's that was, yeah, exactly. Well, so but to I, me, I think, it wasn't, it wasn't effective. Right. Well, I, I feel yeah. like you got to be – I mean, this way you got to fight DJ, right? I mean, there's a reason why this guy hasn't lost in a long time, and I think this yeah. was the game no, plan no. And again, to that's, beat that's Demetrius the, Johnson. Yeah, that's the sad part. Henry did a great job. I don't want to even keep going with that because, look – It was a close some, fight. He, yeah, he made some adjustments. I thought it was a great fight, but I wouldn't have taken that away from the champion. And, and let's, let's give it but up But that whole Demetrius argument, Johnson. Ray, I mean, what, what does that even mean? What does that mean, uh, to be yeah, the champion? No, it means nothing. No, it means nothing. I get it. I get it means nothing. I just feel obligated to say it. I don't know yeah. why. Well, and, and, I just, it's and, been around. It's been. But like it's, an unfortunate, it's an unfortunate thing, right? Because you get a guy who uh, he was the record holder for most title yeah. defenses. That story's over because, in my opinion, it's still it was a close fight, but it wasn't yes. the right decision. And I think right. when you're again, I, I definitely think, Ray, that that was a, a big motivating factor for the judges going, wait a sec, Demetrius is on his back and it happened oh, at the end of doubt. the round. We had without never seen doubt. that before. That's really what that was about. And I, I believe it's I believe that was it. I believe that's what it was about. And if it was another fighter besides Demetrius Johnson, that guy gets the win. I think that's what they saw. And, uh, you know, look, to complicate matters, I mean, you got to give it up to Demetrius Johnson. What a gentleman after the fight. Yeah. I mean, there's another guy that has, he's got his, he's got his life in order, man. That guy was so complimentary and sportsmanlike. I, I, I can't, I, I, I really. True martial artist, that guy. Yeah, well, true martial artist. And, and I'll tell you what, there was, you know, some guys say it and you don't believe it. He said it and I believed it. He was, what a, what a. Nice guy, gave it up to the other guy, and uh, I mean that—that's a good dude right there. Whatever you know, and I, I like to see those guys do good. But again, Henry's a great guy too. I think he's going to be a great ambassador, and uh, we'll see what happens. But I just thought I did have the other guy winning the fight. That was it. And, and, I, I, and I, I think, think you're—I think you're onto something that maybe DJ got penalized for past greatness, right? To just see him experience any sort of adversity there. But all three judges. Gave both championship rounds to Henry Cejudo, rounds four and five, and and I think DJ definitely felt his physicality a little bit in the pocket and certainly on the ground. And uh, yeah. you know, he, he tore. It was a, he supposedly he supposedly tore his LCL and and broke right. his foot around the middle of the fight, so right around those that third round. Um, I don't know if that's why he he lost rounds four and five. I thought rounds four round four was without a doubt Henry Cejudo. I no thought round five was very close. Probably, you know, I'll give that to Henry. Uh, I thought, you know, he was a little bit more aggressive in pursuing that takedown, um, and it was close as far as you know striking numbers in that fifth round. But uh, yeah, I thought the first three were for Demetrius, but a close fight. Again, you can never yeah, say yeah, it was yeah. a robbery that, either that, way. That's you what makes can't. it. That's what makes it tricky. You yeah. can't. It's not a robbery by any means, but it's. Uh, I thought it was kind of an easy fight to score for me, but yeah. You know, then, then, but like when it was getting to the end, I was like, you know what? Somebody could have given that guy the second round based on that, and they're gonna have, they have a platform to stand by, you know, because of the takedown. But when you look at it, I have to agree with Kenny. There was just nothing done to to negate what happened at the beginning of that round. A, yeah. a buddy of mine who's a referee, he's a professional referee. He's repped in the in the UFC before, or not referee, judged uh, in the UFC before. I, I asked him when the, they were kind of going to make the decision, what he thought. And he had a 3-2 for Demetrius as well. But, yeah, um, yeah I mean, this is the sport. we, we got to deal with this, you know. And, 
Henry Cejudo, like you said, Olympic gold medalist, Pan Am champion, now UFC flyweight champ. He came back from losing in the first round to beating Demetrius Johnson. This is a guy who uh, anyone could get behind as far as his story. It's inspiring. This is a guy who can really go out there and and, um, be an ambassador for this sport. Uh, So this guy's been working his ass off to come back and and get this win. And what can you say about it? And a sweetheart of a guy, too. So hats off to him. He made the correction. He came back. It's just, just we're just constructively criticizing. That's yeah. it. You know? yeah. But power to him because he is a he's a great guy to talk to. He's very humble, and I think he's going to do a great job in that position. Yeah. Oh, Henry Cejudo's the man. We're not done sending praise that guy's way. We're just getting going. Yeah. Ray, we got to let you go. We got Alex Perez coming up. Anything else before we let you fly? Wait, you let me go for Alex Perez? I mean, I, I, I dem- <laughs> Kenny, I demand to talk to somebody. Come on. Oh. Wait, who, who, oh, is Al- who is Alex Perez before we go? Just tell me who he is at least. I can't. I, I mean, you're lucky that I'm not going to tell him what the hell you just said. He's yeah. 21 and four. In, he's 21 and four in MMA. What's your record? I love the guy. Whoever he is, let me get out of here. I'll talk to you. Hey, And please tell Alex, I said hello. tell Alex I said hello. Take it easy. All right. A couple bullets for the UFC flyweight contender. I'm going to call Sean Shelby. I'm going to have Uluka Sasaki fight Alex Perez next. And then you'll know exactly who Alex Perez is. I'll have him beat the hell out of your guy, Uluka Sasaki, Ray Longo. Got another flyweights down there at Longo Weidman MMA. Uh, Biggest ovation at Staples Center by far. Brian T. City Ortega, UFC featherweight T. City. Absolutely loves the fight, loves the strategy. You know what else he loves? Toyo Tires. Because like Ortega, Toyo tires are as tough as they come. They are the official tire of the UFC. There's a lot to love about Toyo tires. Aggressive design, proven on and off-road capabilities. These are tires for any weather. And they've got the toughness to back up that claim. There's just a confidence that comes with tough tires. So no matter what you're driving, no matter where you're driving, you can count on Toyo tires. Of course, they look great as well. They are also the choice of so many fighters on this UFC roster. Dominic Cruz, among others. Tough people love tough tires. And Toyo tires have been proven time and time again. So if you're tough, these are the tires for you. Toyo tires. So the next time you need tires, ask for Toyo. The official tire of the UFC. Learn more at toyotires.com slash UFC. Toyotires.com slash UFC. So, yeah, T-City, far and away, biggest ovation at Staples Center. And I think it speaks to just how big a star this is. Yes, exactly. Triangle City. I don't know City. if that's how you make it, but yeah. Yeah, that's close. Close enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He, he just has resonated with so many people, and all of it's based upon what he's done inside the octagon. But more on that later, because now joining us on the guest line, a man who this past weekend produced the biggest win of his MMA career and one of the biggest wins of the night, UFC flyweight contender Alex Perez. As far as I'm concerned, he's now a contender. Uh, Alex, appreciate your time today, man. How are you? Good, man. How are you guys? Oh, this is good. I didn't know we were going to have video, man. It's good to see you. We appreciate you waking up early. Um, so I, I know you're a big flyweight. Your favorite restaurant is called All That Korean Barbecue. Did you get there on Sunday, or, or, or are you going today? Uh, no, I didn't get there on Sunday. Uh, my mom came into town, so I took her out to eat. Uh, we ran out to some barbecue joint, and then I uh, got to hit the OC Fairer of my mom, uh, her husband, and you know my girlfriend, and one of my good buddies. All right, well, you've certainly earned it. So Saturday night, you extend your winning streak to eight wins overall. First-round knockout of the previously undefeated Jose Shorty Torres. So you told us before the fight that, that you prioritized a fast start, and that's how you approached it. But this was like a historic first round in terms of what you accomplished. Um, 
How did this fight go down relative to what you thought you were going to see from Torres? Um, I thought, you know, he was going to be hard, you know, obviously hard to finish. I, he hit hard, you know, he, he didn't hit, you know, he hit me a couple of times. Like, oh, got to keep my hands up you know, or else I can really make a mistake. But I felt like everything worked out in my favor, you know, all my training, everything put off. I listened to my coaches in the corner when they're telling me to relax. Um, yeah, I feel like everything I was getting ready for happened in the fight. So I don't know how much you know about the numbers, but I reached out to our fight metric guys today. 84 significant strikes, the second most landed in the first round of any UFC fight ever. I got to go back to Tim Sylvia's UFC debut, UFC 39 against Wesley Cabbage Correa, 94 significant strikes. But he had five minutes, right? That fight went into a second round. So you did this in three minutes and 36 seconds. Uh, I mean, is there any hesitation in that moment knowing that that type of output could be something you got to deal with later in the fight, or is it just all systems go? It's all systems go, man. I come in there to fight, and I come in there to win. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in cardio. That's the only thing you can really control, you know. Um, I work a lot. I work out a lot. I work out with uh, Corey Beasley. He's got to get me in shape and uh, – that's the one thing, you know, he's my strength and conditioning coach, and that's the one thing I, I, I kind of, like, tell him, hey, I'm a grinder. I need to be able to keep the best pace for three three rounds, five minutes, nonstop from start to go, and uh, he did a great job. Without him, for sure, I wouldn't be able to do that. You know, Alex, you, you have a tremendous record. You're on an awesome win streak right now. Uh, what's next for you? Is there is there a guy out there in that division that you want to fight? Uh, yeah, if uh, – the UFC wants, uh, let's set up me versus Brandon Moreno. Uh, I think that's a great fight for the fans, for both of us. I think we can both test ourselves um, on the stand-up and on the ground. So I would love to fight Brandon Moreno. How far away are you from a title shot, do you think? Uh, I'm not too sure, man. Uh, right now, I'm just taking one fight at a time. Like, I've been in the sport a long time, and I've competed a long time. If you think too far ahead, then, you know, you don't see the bumps in the road that are, are in the future. I, I mean, I'm going to lose eventually. I'm not saying I'm not going to huh. lose ever. I've already lost before, you know. And uh, like I said, if I see too far ahead, then um, I might not ever get there. I'm, I'm just focused on what's in front of me right now. Um, all right. I'm going to ask you a question about the future, but please answer. Uh, do, you, do you think you would ever fight at 135 pounds? Is 125 a, a tough cut for you? Um, he actually pretty if I have enough time, uh, you know, I, like I said, my biggest weakness is probably all you can eat places. <laughs> uh, so I get pretty, I get pretty big in, be, in between camps, but uh, perfecting athletes did an amazing job with me. Uh, we keep in contact all, constantly in and out of camp. Paulina and Michelle, those two ladies are miracle workers. Um, without them, I for sure wouldn't be able to make the weight and feel as good as I did and be able to rehydrate like I did. Um, you know, I felt like amazing. So uh, eventually, maybe 135s, but right now my time is not 125s, and I'm, I'm here to make a run. UFC flyweight contender Alex Perez with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. I know a lot of us were, were kind of surprised to see that you didn't get a performance bonus, maybe because your fight was so early in the night and there was obviously a lot of competition thereafter. But when you produce like this, biggest win of your career – but I got to think you're, you're playing that waiting game, hoping that 50K comes in. And uh, even though you were worthy, uh, I guess that didn't come your way at the end of the night, my man. 
Yeah, man, it kind of sucked, but at the same time, too, I can't take it away from any of the guys that got it. I mean, we all go out there to perform. Um, I was hoping to get that, you know, 50 Gs. I'd be able to put down a down payment on a house. You know, that's my goal for this year to be able to make enough money to put down a down payment on a house. Um, but I'm going to have to earn it another way. Well, hey, man, you're 3-0 and in the UFC, 21-4 and overall. You're only 26 years old. I like the Brandon Moreno call-out. I think that makes some sense. It's interesting that Ken Flo talked about Bantamweight, and, and sometimes there are high-profile, short-notice opportunities that really can propel you forward. Um, but it sounds like for you, if it was going to be a short-notice thing, it would have to be like a big-name rank guy at 35, and, and it would take you probably, what, four weeks to get down to 26? Uh, yeah, like this time I did it in about three weeks. For the contenders, I did it about two and a half weeks. Wow. Uh, uh, same thing for Eric, the Eric Shelton fight. You know, I missed the flight and That's everything right. got screwed up. But, I mean, uh, I took the fight on three weeks' notice, three and a half weeks' notice, three weeks' notice there as well. Missed about half a pound. Um, like, I can make the weight, but, I mean, having more time will obviously be better. I can come into fight week at one. Like, I came in this time at 137, you know, which isn't right. bad, but I would like to be a little bit lower, maybe two pounds lighter. But, um, it is what it is, you know. I gotta take the opportunities the UFC gives you because you don't get many. And uh, you, you know, if you want to stay active in this game, you have to take short notice fights. All right, last thing before we let you go, this division now has uh, a new hunted Henry Cejudo outpointing Demetrius Johnson. Did you see the fight? Um, what kind of chance did you give Henry going in, and and what do you think about the new king? Um, yes, I watched the fight in the back. I mean, it was a great fight for Henry. Uh, honestly, I didn't think he was going to pull it off. Uh, Demetrius is just so dominant everywhere, but he did a great job of uh, fixing the biggest, I think the biggest hole in his game was a clinch. Uh, he did a great job when Demetrius got in the clinch to either get hip to hip or throw in the takedown right away. So Demetrius wasn't able to really uh, really get a, any offense off of in there, you know. Those takedowns, the inside trips really kind of, kind of I think, mess with Mighty Mouse. Uh, I think they kind of like, it made him hesitate a little bit about clinching up with uh, Henry uh, Cejudo, and then I also thought that like, he didn't go to a leg kick enough when he was a uh, when he was a uh, he turned uh, southpaw a couple times. I would have stayed uh, right uh, right handed uh, stance and just blasted that leg. He did a great job blasting that leg, and then all of a sudden he stopped. I'm not sure it's because I, of of the knee injury or what it was, but right. I would have attacked the front leg more. I would have uh, liked to see that the clinch game. You know, like I said. So who did a great job uh, stopping that? Well, it sounds like you watch that fight as if you're going to be fighting one of them one day, and it won't be next, but certainly got to think it's going to be a ranked opponent for Alex Perez. Excited to see you and see how far you can take this thing, man. Congrats on a huge win this weekend, and, and hopefully we see at least once more before the year is out, man. Enjoy the win. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you guys having me. You know, it means a lot. Got it, man. Congrats, All right, there man. he is, Alex Perez, UFC flyweight contender with us today. And, I think this win might have resonated a little bit more if it had happened later in the night, Ken Flo, but it certainly set the tone for the rest of the night. You know, Jose Shorty Torres is a notorious slow starter, and when we sat down with Shorty on Thursday, DC was like, dude, you got to change that, you know, especially against someone like Alex Perez, you would think, and Perez just blasted him uh, historically to get the biggest win of his career. So congrats uh, to Alex Perez. I want to circle back on a few things, and and Cejudo Mm -hmm. DJ um, in a minute, but 
first in terms of, of the greatest bantamweight of all time. And I know some people don't like the absolutes and they don't like when we go down this road. Part of the reason we do is because the UFC launched in 1993. And right now we are in an era where we are seeing some of the greatest fighters of all time in their respective divisions. And as the game evolves, a lot of the greatest fighters of all time are going to be on your television right now in 2018 and beyond. When you talk about the greatest bantamweight in MMA history, Hennon Barrow is no longer in that conversation. It's a very simple conversation, Kenny, if I'm not mistaken. It's two names. It's Dominic Cruz and it's TJ Dillashaw. And I think both have a strong case that can be made easily, and I will if you won't. Um, but I just don't think that people are so impassioned on one side or the other. To me, I could sit here and make a case for whichever guy you don't uh, as quick as I can make the case for the other. I agree. Uh, listen, uh, for Dominic Cruz, obviously he has had uh, issues injury-wise in the UFC, um, but you have to include what he was doing over in the WEC and the consistency he had over there. Um, and, you know, the fact that he does have a win at the end of the day over TJ Dillashaw. So that's a fight that um, I'm sure TJ would want. I think a lot of fans still want to see that. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see if TJ uh, can make those adjustments and get that win back. Um, I don't know if that's the most exciting fight um, in that division, but it might be the most intriguing fight. And I think that is one of those fights that will determine who the greatest bantamweight is in that division. You look at TJ right. Dillashaw, the guy who was the guy was Hennon Burrell. He was undefeated for like 10 years. He was destroying everybody. Uh, and TJ went out there and destroyed him. Uh, Dominic, of course, never had the opportunity uh, to fight Hennon Burrell. Um, but, uh, you know, TJ was, was there and healthy and, and beat all those guys. Uh, so again, uh, beat the guy who beat Dominic Cruz, but then TJ lost to, uh, to, to Dominic, of course. So it gets tricky, but, um, right now you look at TJ's consistency and, and the way that he's going about it, uh, he's finishing a lot of these guys. Uh, you know, there's a very strong case, uh, to be made for TJ, but, uh, for Dominic as well. You know, John Jones never had the opportunity to fight Anthony Rumble Johnson, but part of that was his own doing, right? Dominic Cruz never had the opportunity to fight Hennon Burrell. Tough breaks, but part of that was his own doing, right? And I think Daniel Cormier's two wins over Anthony Rumble Johnson, no one seems to give him credit for those. They say, oh, Rumble gave up at the end of the fight, right? That was a dangerous fight for John Jones, and he never had to have it. Hennon Burrell was a dangerous fight for Dominic Cruz. Dangerous matchup. Never won that fight, right? Historically, it's hard to argue with Cruz's body of work, 21 and one, and you know, avenge the only loss and and the wins over favor, obviously, to close out that series emphatically, and um, everything else coming back and beating TJ, at least according to most in 2016, and that night unequivocally, he was the greatest unchallenged bantamweight of all time. But TJ Dillashaw, since his UFC debut against John Dodson. Uh, has won every fight with the exception of two losses by split decision to Rafael Sansao in a close fight and a loss he avenged and a razor-thin close fight to Dominic Cruz, right? So if you sit down with TJ as we did on Thursday, he'll sit across from you and say, I should be riding a 13-fight winning streak with seven consecutive defenses. And by the way, now on paper, he has two wins over Hennon Burrell, both finishes, and two wins over Cody Garbrandt, both finishes. So don't tell me TJ Dillashaw doesn't have a case as the greatest bantamweight of all time. Uh, and yeah. I hope Dominic Cruz is not listening to the Anakin Florian podcast because he is a good <laughs> friend, you know. But don't tell me TJ doesn't have a case, you know. And you can right. be sure if Dom and I go down this road when I see him next, I'll say the same thing to his face. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. But it's a two-man race, and if you think otherwise, you're just not 
um, paying attention. As far as Henry Cejudo's win is concerned, Kenny, I'm glad you and Ray got into it in terms of what Demetrius Johnson had done because I do think he got the better of the striking exchanges. And you're right, because after that crazy situation early in the fight with with Henry's foot, um, he was getting those leg kicks and they were landing and because maybe Henry is thick and wasn't reacting to them in a negative way that maybe the judges didn't give him credit for those I have no argument with a 3-2 DJ scorecard Um, but when Ray starts to go down a path of to beat the champion you have to you know to be the champion you got to beat the champion that's the most ridiculous thing in the world Kenny I mean it's like the judges the referees should have a knowledge of the fighters right in, in terms of tendencies before they go in there a little bit, even though they don't get the assignment until fight night. But if I'm a judge in a perfect world, you have no idea who's coming in as the champion. You judge a round, not based upon who walked in last. Correct. And, and we've talked about this. We've gone down this road uh, many times before. Uh, a fight should be scored based on who is winning that round, period, uh, not on what they've accomplished. So uh, I agree with you there. Um and, yeah, I, I, do I think they got the decision wrong? Yeah. Was it absolutely close? Yes. Yes, it was. Um, so, uh, again, uh, I'm just amazed by what Henry Cejudo has accomplished in combat sports. You look oh. at his wrestling career, uh, a guy in his early 20s to go and, and, and be an Olympic champion. I, I mean, the adversity that this guy has experienced early in his life from I think taking last in the world championships in freestyle wrestling to being an Olympic gold medalist the very next year and everything he has to deal with you know from his family life and growing up and, and the kind of situation that he did uh in in LA and I mean this is a guy that you knew was going to come back and come back strong against Demetrius Johnson um he performed so well he's a guy that everyone uh, whether you're a fan of the UFC or a UFC employee or anything, you can be proud of representing that organization as a world champion and um yeah i'm just blown away by henry cejudo and um the the fact that he was able to pull it off against demetrius johnson one of the greatest fighters to ever perform inside the octagon is uh just remarkable so i want to share some things from our fighter meeting with henry cejudo because you can't always get to this stuff in a mixed martial arts round and even five of them can flow so just what his life has held since the last loss to demetrius johnson completely remade himself as a striker his boxing coach alan byers developing his hands getting him into a stance for the first time just teaching him basic composition as a striker kenny i mean that was all foreign language to him he's been to singapore holland thailand brazil all to get different looks and feels right i mean how many guys are really doing that kenny in 2018 you know you did it back in the day lived in brazil right how about some credit to him for doing all of these things went to aka and just picked khabib Nurmagomedov's brain for an hour you know to talk about control on the ground right a few quotes here from the 2018 national wrestling hall of fame inductee henry cejudo if i can't be the best in the world there's something wrong legitimately Ken Flo believes at his core that if he's not the number one guy even with this great Demetrius Johnson on a pedestal that something must be wrong and he went out and made adjustments and was able to beat Demetrius Johnson you know also talking about DC and Yoel we did get to a little of this on the broadcast but you know he sort of had this chip on his shoulder like look at Cormier and Romero and all these championship situations and DC the double champ like he he, he won an Olympic gold medal right he felt like he's special too and he can do it too and In 2007, and I'm sorry to go on here, but I'm pretty passionate about this. He came in dead last at the World Championships, and he looks us in the eye and says, I didn't even score a point against the Iranian I was fighting. And then he comes back a year later, 
and he's at the top of the Olympic podium, you know, as DC put so well over the weekend. Um, so to add a USC championship to that Olympic gold, this is one of the more special athletes uh, that I have ever been around. Uh, a couple other things on UFC 227. We're trying to connect here with Eric Albaracin, uh, who might even have Cejudo with him. But Henato Moicano, Kenny, um, spoils the homecoming for Cub Swanson and did it pretty emphatically. And we talked about this last week in terms of, you know, Vegas always knows, right? And sitting out there was Moicano at minus 400, Ken Flo. Vegas knows again. Uh, Moicano's a pretty special fighter. That's a hell of a jab on that young man. Yeah, and he wants another shot at Brian Ortega. Um, you know, Moicano is, is solid everywhere, man. He really is. And, uh, you know, just he's, an, he's a guy who really is uh, a believer in the fundamentals. Not a whole lot of flash to his game. Uh, doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. He's consistent. He's tall. He's rangy for the division. Uh, and really made it look easy against a veteran in Cub Swanson. Oh, Cub Swanson uh, is a guy who's very dangerous, but I think the big problem with Cub is we didn't see any evolution in his game. He really has been the same guy uh, in his last four to five fights. We haven't seen uh, anything really upgraded that much in Cub's game. I, I think he does get a little reckless. Uh, it's what makes him dangerous, but it's also what makes him vulnerable uh, to getting finished out there. And uh, unfortunate there for Cub Swanson, uh, who is... Uh, Big-time fan favorite. He's one of the nicest guys in the sport. He's a true warrior. Uh, but Moicano just had his number, man, just all over him from start to finish. And because he got more done against Brian T. City Ortega, I would think that the nature of this win against Swanson, um, putting him away more emphatically you know, than anyone recently, at least earlier than Ortega did it. Edgar didn't put him away, if my memory serves, right? This puts him in the top five. He'll take Swanson's ranking and... He's right on that short list. I mean, Max Holloway is sort of this great unknown right now, but maybe that's putting it a little strongly. Um, Moicano is most definitely in the mix. Um, Pedro Munoz and Brett Johns, I don't know if you saw the prelims on FX, Ken Flo. I mean, that was a fight of the night bonus winner on any other night. But, of course, given what Cejudo and Johnson did and the back-and-forth nature of that fight and, and the crowd's reaction to it, they stole that bonus money. Did you see Munoz and Johns go back and forth at all? I, I did. I mean, uh, dude, this is a jiu-jitsu guy. Between, yeah, two very, two very similar fighters out there. Um, uh, Munoz, uh, I thought, was just a little bit sharper. Kind of, we talked about when we break, broke down this fight. I thought he was just a little bit better everywhere, and, and was able to really uh, neuter Johns on the ground. Uh, I was surprised he didn't take advantage or, or more advantage uh, of Johns on the ground. Uh, but still, uh, an excellent performance nonetheless. Both these guys not shy to trade. Uh, it's stand in the pocket. Uh, I thought Munoz could have fought a little bit smarter, but still an exciting fighter who's putting together some yeah. awesome combinations. And Brett John, I mean, how tough is that guy? My goodness. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, the, the shots that he took and he was firing right back made it a very, very exciting fight. And yeah, I, I mean, um, if it wasn't for Cejudo and Demetrius Johnson, uh, you know, I thought those guys really were going to get fight of the night. There's a lot of pressure on Brett Johns in trying to bring this octagon to Cardiff, Wales, and we had fun with it on the broadcast, Kenny, but it's like he feels like he has to almost do what Darren Till did in getting the octagon to Liverpool. He feels like he has to become a contender to really make a case for a Wales show that he could co-headline or maybe even headline, and, uh, you know, it, it's easier said than done, obviously, when you start to fight these guys in the top 15 like Aljamain Sterling and now Pedro Munoz. Yeah. But, dude, Munoz, over 800 jiu-jitsu matches, and all he wants to do is box, not even kickbox necessarily, right? Like, he, yeah. he kept saying when we sat down with him that he's had so much success against these pro boxers that 
all he wants to do is throw hands. You know, it's like when Rashad right. Evans found his hands back in the day. It's like, I'm not trying to take you down. I just want to throw mitts. Um, so, all right, last thing on this 227 main card. Tiago Santos, a winner by unanimous decision over Kevin Holland. But a lot of the celebs, as Dana White alluded to post-fight, were left talking about Kevin Holland. Uh, did you see this fight? And and was this your first time seeing Kevin Holland? Because those who watch Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series know that this is the book on him. When he gets nervous, he gets goofy. He likes to showboat. He'll talk the whole yeah. time, spitting the mouthpiece out and everything else. But the celebs are all in on the trailblazer, Kevin Holland. Yeah, I did see that fight. Um, you know, I, I thought, first of all, Kevin Holland, uh, he's got a lot of talent. He has a lot of potential. Um, and you could see, yeah, you know, he, he was, you know, kind of talking a lot and, and doing so you could see he was a little bit, you know, a little bit nervous heading into that fight against Santos. And, um, you know, listen, uh, Santos was not very good on the ground. Uh, I, I thought he had the right idea of even, uh, inviting the fight on the ground, even if he was on his back, I thought he had a chance at finishing Tiago Santos early on if he was on his back. But as the fight wore on, you could see he was just kind of losing, uh, a little bit of confidence and, of course, getting tired in that process against uh, the thicker and perhaps stronger uh, Tiago Santos. But uh, Santos and his kicking game really was able to shut down Kevin Holland's uh, speed with his hands. Um, and, yeah, just excellent power there from uh, Tiago Santos and uh, got a nice win. And congrats to the night's other winners, J.J. Aldrich with the man Pat Barry in her corner, gets a win in her UFC pay-per-view uh, debut. Ricky Simone over Montel Jackson. Ricardo Hamos over Kyung Ho Kong, entertaining fight there. Shaman Marais over Matt Sales. Thought maybe that fight could have gone Sales' way, but congrats to Mr. Marais. Alex Perez, who you heard from earlier. Uh, Weili Zhang, uh, 17 in a row now. She wins her UFC debut against Danielle Taylor. And Cheeto Vera, the show opener, with his lovely daughter in the crowd, his son there, and everybody else. A winner by knockout, TKO over Uligi Buren. All right, big press conference Friday, Ken Flo, at which time the UFC announced that on October 6th, about 60 days from now, they will close the octagon behind Khabib Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor. And I can all but guarantee that this fight will stay together. You don't need to pray. You don't need to cross your fingers. It's a big payday for both guys, so much so that I, th I mean, you, Conor doesn't mind fighting Hurt. I mean, that's the thing, too, that I'll say off the top about Conor McGregor. I'm, he'll fight Hurt. Right. He's, I mean, he signed a contract. He'll show up oct up to October 6th. And given what I'm being told Khabib Nurmagomedov might be realizing in terms of a payday, he's going to show up two months from today. It shall be done. Um, one of the biggest fights, if not the biggest fight in UFC history by almost any metric can flow. And what I love about it is that there's there's no world tour. You know, I'm hyped already. You know, I don't need to get more hype. Um, this thing's announced 65 days before it's going to happen. And UFC 229 is one hot ticket. I got no tickets. There was a fourth fight book between Habib Nurmagomedov <laughs> and Tony Ferguson. Yeah, and yeah. you said the very same thing, John. You got to be careful saying that stuff. You're right. I did. But Don't I didn't that. say it was because of the money then. I didn't okay. say it was because right. of the money. Because true. you know, Ken Flo, that DC was fighting Stipe even with a torn ACL. Fact or fiction? This is true. Absolutely. He That's probably all. did. So I don't, you're I don't right. even know I mean, if he has an ACL. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, right. I, you're you're right. right, though. I do have foot and mouth disease and all of that stuff, and I got to <laughs> not do all this. You know, I shouldn't drink before the show. I know. No, you're excited. I get it. Cause, and I'm excited. I am very excited for this fight. Um, listen, this fight had to happen, right? I, I mean, a lot of people are freaking out about, you know, how can they make this fight happen after what Connor did? I mean, you know the fight was going to happen, and you want to see the fight. I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. 
Connor screwed up. Absolutely. But you still want to see the fight. I want to see the fight. Um, I think this is the fight you have to make happen. Um, you know, listen, you have Habib Nurmagomedov, an absolute a Dagestani juggernaut, a guy that when he's focused on taking you down and beating you up, uh, he, he could do it. And he can do it against anybody, I believe, all the way up to 170 pounds, most likely. Um, and you get Conor McGregor, a guy who just might be the only guy at 155 pounds who could expose that striking weakness of Habib Nurmagomedov and actually make him pay for it. Yeah. Okay. So he yeah. has the ability to land that shot that you don't see. He has the ability to counter you. He has the ability to move off that center line and land, land that fight ending shot, unlike anybody in that division. And I don't think that Conor McGregor really is, is as appreciated as you'd think. He's appreciated because of the kind of stuff that he says uh, and the star that he is. But as, yeah. as far as his fighting technique, he's just not appreciated in mixed martial arts like he should be. He's I, he's such a technical striker. You look at, you know, you look at what he's done. I mean, pe are people forgetting that he just destroyed Jose Aldo in, in, in a mere, you know, twelve or thirteen seconds? You know, the fact that he beat right. Max Holloway, the fact that, um, you know, he came back to beat Nate Diaz, not at 155 pounds, which was an option for him, but he said, right. no, I'm going to rematch you at 170 pounds, and I'm going to beat you, and he did that against a massive and dangerous style matchup in Nate Diaz. So right. this is a guy who is very dangerous. Does he have something to offer him on the ground? Probably not. For, for yeah. Connor, if he gets taken down, he's going to have to go into survival mode. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's ways to counter Habib. They're few and far between. There's certain things you can do, but you better be very high level and elite in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu world. Connor isn't that yet. Um, yeah. However, I, I think he could stop a few takedowns. He can get him tired, and he will not stop. We, we have to go back to that Chad Mendes fight where he was getting taken down. Uh, he was exhausted. He had a terrible knee injury. He was flying all over the place. One of the most brutal weight cuts you can make, cutting down to 145 pounds. And he went out there and got the result by finish. So he's a guy that's very determined. Now, he's got about $90 million in his bank account. Yep. That changes things a little bit. Yeah, How is his bit. mindset? How is his fighter mindset and fighter focus? I don't know. I still think that for Conor McGregor, he has a lot of fight in him. He has a lot to still prove to himself. Um, and uh, I, still think, see, I still think he loves this game. So uh, I think he's the only guy who can knock out Habib Nurmagomedov. All right, I want to fire back at you on some of that stuff, but we got to go to the guest line now because joining us is a man who will have his eyes on that fight, among others, one of the best lightweights in the world himself, a man who is less than three weeks away from his first UFC main event. About time, by the way, for his first headlining spot, the Texecutioner, James Vick, now joins us live. My man, James, how are you, sir? What's up, guys? I'm doing great. Living a dream. Good to see you this weekend, my man. So I was sitting in the TV truck during the press conference last Friday, and I got to be honest, to a man, the guy who got the most laughs in there and the biggest reaction was you. Um, I thought you maximized the showcase, and, and you seem to feel right at home going at Justin Gaethje there verbally, my man. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a decent trash talker, I like to think, but I'm not going to act like I, I did something great. I mean, I really was just being honest. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the guy right. is, you know, he, he is a punching bag. That's the way he fights, and I really didn't try to hype it up any different. That's really how I feel about the guy, but... Um, uh, it did happen to turn out to be a little funny, which, you know, I'm glad it was. But um, I really do feel that way about the guy. 
So I, I said earlier that I think there's a comparison to be drawn between you and TJ Dillashaw, just how happy you look getting ready to fight another man in the cage, right? When Bruce Buffer's announcing your name, you and TJ, very similarly, you're smiling like you just can't fucking wait. And a lot of fighters can't relate to that emotion. Like George St. Pierre hates fight night. You really seem to love it. Oh, I, I like, like Dillashaw said, you know, I, I love this shit. I, I really do love, love this shit. I live and breathe this yeah. shit. I'm um, I never, you know, coming up, you know, I, I quit school, I, I, uh, I quit college, I, you know, I didn't have a plan B, and I never wanted a plan B, you know, I, I love being a fighter, this is the way I wake, I wake up doing every day, and it's, it is kind of crazy to me to see someone, you know, or to hear someone, you know, like George St. Pierre, as great as he, he is, he's been one of the greatest of ever of all time, because I've always looked at people in the back, and when I, when I saw them nervous and scared, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy, <laughs> that's what I would think, like, I would always think that, I mean, it's crazy, it's crazy to see, I guess, you know, different, different strokes for different folks, you know, but it is crazy to see that because, like, I'm a, I'm like a dog, a caged animal back there barking, like going crazy, ready to come out, ready to walk out. I, I mean, I love this shit. And to see other people, I'm like, man, what the fuck is wrong with this dude? He, you know, he's acting soft. You know, that's what I was thinking in my mind. But, I, you know, I, I'm now I'm older. I understand, you know, that, you know, people handle stuff differently. But for sure, I, I love this. There's nothing else I, I want to do but be a fighter. I, I'm living my dream job. So, James, obviously this is a, a huge fight for you against Gaethje, who is a, a big-time fan favorite. But uh, what's the approach against Gaethje? Where is he vulnerable, and how do you beat this guy? I mean, my approach is the same uh, against him as it is anybody. I'm, I'm not fighting him. He's fighting me. That's how, that's how I always think. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I'm aware of what he's going to do, and I've practiced those things. I've addressed his leg kicks in practice. I've, I've been doing these things. But um, – in my mind, I, I'm, I'm not fighting him. He's fighting me, so I, I really don't give a fuck what he's going to do. You know what I'm saying? I, uh, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to be me, and, and I'm going to win. I feel like I can win this fight any way I want to win this fight. And um, I'm not saying he's not a good opponent. I'm not saying he's not he's not a top fighter. He uh, He's a top fighter. I, I don't necessarily know if he's a top 10 fighter, but he is a top fighter, and he has world-class heart, and he's a dog, and he will fight. But I feel like I have all those same attributes but skill. Um, and I think you guys are going to see that. If it comes down to um, – us having, we're in the deeper rounds and me having to bite down on that mouthpiece and me having to stand in front of that guy and fight, you're going to see who the real dog is. You know, I, in, in my mind, I have more heart than he's got. I just don't have to fight like that. But when it comes to, to me biting down on my mouthpiece and, and, and if I'm down on the cards or whatever and that's what has to be done, then you're going to see what, 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 what gets done. I'm going to bite down on that, that mouthpiece and, I, and I'm going to break him. He's going to be the one breaking, not me. Do you see him changing his colors? Do you, do you see him taking a different approach against you in this fight? Um, I just think, I mean, I'm really not trying to sound, you know, conceited or whatever. I just think this is a, I'm a bad matchup for him. I don't understand what he could do to change. Everyone says, says, oh, well, he's going, what if he tries to wrestle you? Well, what if he does? I mean, what, what, honestly, God, what can he do to me if he tries to wrestle me? That's probably going to gas him out twice as bad as is if he don't wrestle. And, What's the end point of him doing it? No one's ever been able to do anything to me on the ground. I've never been hurt on the ground. I've never really been hit much on the ground. I, if he takes me down, I'm going to get up in five or ten seconds, or he may get his neck caught and get submitted. He, the dude, I, in my mind, I, realistically, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for, for ten years. This guy, I don't even think he could pass my guard, to be honest with you. And I trained at one of the best jiu-jitsu schools in the world against world champions. We had two black belt world champions this year. I've trained with these people, you know, these high-level guys, so I don't, I don't really – if he did change his game up to wrestle, um, that would be the only thing he really could do. He's not going to stay on the outside and win a point battle. So he would have to try to wrestle or something, but I really don't know what his end point would be to that. 
because I don't really feel like there's anything he could do to me on the ground except gas his own stuff out trying try, try to get me there. Right. UFC lightweight contender James Vick with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So in terms of your approach, maybe not much changes, but in terms of the training for five rounds potentially versus three, um, does it change your day-to-day preparation? Uh, a little bit, not a lot. Um, uh, you know, I just – and I was already in shape when I took this fight. You know, I was two, fight, two, two weeks away from fighting Felder, so I basically did two camps back-to-back. Right. I, I'm, I'm, I've been, I was ready to fight uh, J- July 14th, you know. I, and I always train and, and spar and do more than, than a three-round fight. I, you know, I always spar five or six rounds even when I'm only fighting threes. So I've been I've been upping it a little bit. I've been sparring eight eight five minute rounds straight. Is what I've been doing in sparring sessions and um, throwing fresh guys in. You know, you really a lot of it me getting me me getting beat up. You know, when you when you have a fresh guy coming in, y'all know this. You know, um, you have a fresh guy coming in, you're the one taking the, the beatings in practice. You know, uh, with fresh dudes coming in every round or every minute, even sometimes in the last couple rounds, my coach will even throw a fresh guy in every minute. You know, so it's. It's designed for you. It's not designed for you to win. It's designed for you to not break. You know, I'm fully aware of, of, of what Gaethje has. He has a strong will. He, 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 he is a warrior. And, and, and we may get to that point. I don't think we're going to get to that point because I think my skill set is way higher. But I'm right. preparing for everything, and I, I'm in phenomenal shape, and I'm, I'm just doing what I always do, just adding a little bit more to it. A couple more things here with James Vick. Uh, in terms of your son, James Jr., I know you brought him to the, the Maryland, D.C. area for training camp. How old is he? And and how have you sort of navigated that new dynamic in your life, man? Well, actually, I didn't bring him for the whole camp. Um, last camp, him and my girl came up for about 10 days. And then he's actually here right now. Um, uh, they're here for about eight, eight or nine days. So they come, they come up. And then actually, after I got the got the uh, Gaethje fight and switched the opponent, I went home for about a week and a half as well. So um, uh, it's it, it really doesn't change a lot for me. I mean, my girl, it's it's drastically changed for her, of course. But for for me, you know, um, she you know she's staying at home, and um, I don't really have to get up in the middle of the night. She's you know she breastfeeds, so I can't really you know help with that. Right. right. <laughs> so so he's he's about to be four months in the next couple of days, and he's growing really fast. And I, I really do love being a dad. It's it's a, it's a great experience. Yeah, no nighttime feedings for James Vick. He's in training camp. That's right. You see, you didn't marry the wrong woman. I'm telling you, if you if you are a professional mixed martial arts fighter and you're doing nighttime feedings during those eight weeks or whatever weeks leading up to a fight, you married the wrong woman. I love you, but you married the wrong woman. So, um, <laughs> for real, it's going to uh, be a rough camp if you're doing that. Oh, all right, uh, last thing. So I'm um, happy to let our listeners know by popular demand, going forward, what we're going to try to do here on the Anakin Florian podcast in advance of all UFC pay-per-views, so 12 times a year, James is going to come on the show, give out a free play or two exclusively to our listeners. Vic's Picks going to debut the week of Monday, September 3rd before UFC 228. Um, and you can find James on Twitter and all that good stuff if you want to follow his picks. But we're going to be doing that. You also trademarked a phrase, man. What's the phrase, and how'd you get that TM so quick? Yeah, I, um, I've been saying this phrase for years. I heard it a long time ago. Um, I always, always say, run up and get done up. Especially, you know, yeah, when I'm talking, yeah. you know, about fighting. We'll run up and get done up. And I usually say run up and get done up, motherfucker. But I didn't, I didn't add that in, my, <laughs> in the trademark. But, but run up and get done up. And my, my coach was like, you know, he's like, dude, you should get that trademark. And he said, I have a trademark attorney. He put me in touch with the lady. And we went back and forth through email. And she quoted me the price of what, what we have to do to get a trademark. And I, I, went, and got it, I went and got it done. And um, uh, so it's, it's, it's not co- fully finished, but the, the, everything's been sent off. So I should get everything back within a couple months. And it's, and it's 100% a done deal. She just told me any time that I uh, 
wear a t-shirt or say it or anything. I need to put the TM beside it. Yes. And, um, uh, it's, it, you know, it's, I think it's going to be good for me long-term because first of all, I'm going to be a world champion. So th- then I'll be able to sell a lot of products with that, but also um, I'm a big, I'm a big gun guy, you know, rifles. And I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not big into pistols and handguns, uh, uh, but, but I do shoot them. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm getting bigger into that even more. And I'm a big hunter and a, a gun guy. And I have, I have that thing written on the side of one of my guns. And I feel like I can make my own brand of, 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 of rifles or pistols and stuff that say that, and they could really sell, you know, if you, you had run up and get done up on the side of a pistol, I think that that could be a good yep. sell. Yep. Yep. I, that might get me to buy a gun for the first time in my life. He's <laughs> UFC we'll get you the first contender. Edition. What's that, James? I said, we'll get you the first edition, John. You get the first I edition. Run up that, and get done up hand in self-defense that. pistol. <laughs> Well, you know, Ken Flo and I have been longtime believers, man, dating to the Ultimate Fighters live season back in 2012. James Vick in a main event against Justin Gaethje, Saturday, August 25th, first time for the UFC in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can see it on FS1. James, thanks for the time, my man. We look forward to the fight and look forward to talking to you next month for the first Vicks picks here on the show, man. Thank you. Thank you guys so much, always. I appreciate the support. Everyone, uh, go follow me on uh, social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, James Vick MMA. Thank you guys. James Vic MMA run up and get done up Ken Flo I'm telling you I mean if I, like I was that. in Lincoln Nebraska and Justin Gaethje ran up and got knocked out by James Vic <laughs> as the play-by-play announcer I would have no choice but to say run up and get done up Gaethje I mean I sound like a fucking dork but dude, you run up <laughs> you get done up. he's a he's a businessman as well I like it smart man well, I saw him at the uh backstage at the press conference wearing a t-shirt that said run up and get done up with a little tm and I was like, what's that? He's like, oh, that's that's mine, you know. That's um, great. <laughs> it's interesting when you hear him because training breeds confidence, Kenny, right? I mean, yeah. I know you, you probably have a lot of respect for what he's accomplished inside the octagon, but I think part of the reason, among many, why he really doesn't have the nerves is because he is another guy who's been around the block, right, who has traveled to get better training in places like Thailand and otherwise, and he really feels like he's the best 55er in the world when he walks in there. He's a very confident guy. Uh, and, and, you know, one thing uh, that Lloyd Irvin, um, you know, preaches, you know, to his guys is that mental confidence, believing in yourself, having that faith in what you're doing. Um, and James Fix certainly has that. And he's done great things because of it. I hate asking about him about the weight. So I didn't do it right because he's six, three. Everyone asks, oh, you know, how's the weight? Right. And he cuts a lot of weight. There's no doubt about it. You know, I think he's another guy who could take a short notice opportunity at welterweight, but couldn't do it at 155 pounds. I think the only concern would be that by the time he gets a title fight, I think he's nine and one in the UFC or something like that. By the time he finally gets a championship fight, maybe a little bit older, the weight cut will be more difficult. But training for a five round fight, as he said, back to back training camps because the Felder fight went away. So uh, we'll see how it goes for James Vick, uh, who might even be the betting favorite. Um, against Justin Gaethje. It's pretty close, I think, early. Um, but you'd expect Gaethje, given the name recognition, to probably open as the favorite. But um, even James Vick's action alone uh, will probably push that betting number. This guy is as heavy an MMA better as we have on the roster. And by the way, he bet on Henry Cejudo over the weekend. So there's that. A um, couple more things on Connor and Khabib. Uh, before we get there, though, whatever your hair means to you, it's worth fighting for. It's been decades, really, since anyone has made meaningful advancements in the hair health industry. But a new world of science and research has just changed the way we think about hair and its relationship to our overall health. See, it's not just genetics that have it out for your hair. Stress, diet, environmental toxins have also been discovered to compromise your hair health. 
Nutrafol is a new safe and effective strategy to take control of your hair health, and it's made with 100% drug-free ingredients clinically shown to improve thinning hair. Nutrafol scientists and researchers have worked for years to come up with a formula that multi-targets the various causes of hair loss. Not a magic pill, but improving hair from within. Nutrafol, it's a nutraceutical made of clinically tested medical-grade botanical ingredients, no bad side effects. In fact, many users actually report better sleep, better digestion, and better skin health. Nutrafol also available in two distinct formulas for men and women to suit your specific metabolic needs. To get your first month's supply with subscription for $10, visit nutrafol.com, nutrafol.com. Use ANIC during checkout, the code ANIC, A-N-I-K, to get your first month's supply with subscription for $10. Visit nutrafol.com, nutrafol.com. Use ANIC during checkout. All right, Khabib Nurmagomedov, minus 200. Conor McGregor coming back at plus 160. That is the opening odd. I believe that if you want to bet on Conor McGregor, you should do so now because I think there are a lot of bettors, European, Irish bettors, public bettors, that are going to see a plus number number next to Conor McGregor's name, and they're going to blindly fire. Uh, and I think there are a lot of people who bet on Conor McGregor almost at whatever price, right? I also think if you're going to bet on Khabib Nurmagomedov, you're wise to wait because I think you're going to do better than minus 200 at some point in time. Yeah. I'm not going to make you make a pick here 62 days out from this mega fight, Ken Flo. But I believe when we get to our show the first week of October that you're going to pick the precision of Conor McGregor over the power and the dominant nature of Khabib Nurmagomedov. I think when we get there that you're going to land on the McGregor side. Forced to lean for our listeners today. Do you have a lean? Uh, you know, I, I just might. I, I could. I, I don't have a um, choice that, you know, I, I want to spit out right now. Okay, that's okay. Uh, but I will to. say this. I will say this. Habib's approach is a much safer approach. And that's there's a reason why this guy, is he 26-0? and 0? Is that the number? That is right. Yep. 26 and there's a reason why this guy's 26 and 0. You don't get 26 and 0. Uh, to, you don't get that record by just going out there and striking. It, it, that's a very difficult thing to do. But if you if you largely come behind a grappling game plan with uh, tremendous wrestling skills, excellent control, uh, know how to really uh, take guys out of their uh, game and, and really nullify the guard like he does, you can you can get to 26 and 0 and not take a lot of damage doing it. So right. he does have a great uh, chin as a backup. If he does get hit, he can take a shot and keep coming. Uh, but again, if there's one guy who could put his lights out, because that's what you're going to have to do if you fight Habib Nurmagomedov, you're going to have to put him to sleep with your fist or with your shin or your elbow, right. whatever it is. Uh, Conor McGregor is that guy, and, and that's what makes this fight so fascinating. You add in the, the layers, the fact that these guys, you know, uh, you know what Conor did in New York, the fact that they do not like each other, Habib yeah. and you know, his his little beef that he has with Artem Lobov, Conor McGregor's close friend. Um, and this is, uh, like you said, uh, perhaps the biggest fight in UFC history. And we will probably spend at least two minutes on it every show from now until October. But UFC 227, the big news this week, and now with us on the guest line. Amato probably hasn't stopped smiling since Saturday night. Decorated wrestler in his own right, seven-time Armed Forces champion, former Pan Am champ, three-time national champ, and one of the most outstanding MMA coaches in the world who this past weekend helped the great Henry Cejudo realize a UFC championship. The captain, Eric Albaracin, is with us. Eric, congrats, my man. How are you this morning? I'm on cloud nine. Thanks, thanks John Annis, for having me. 
It's a pleasure, man, and it's overdue. Uh, I'm excited for you guys. Genuinely, in my core, I'm excited for you. What have the last 48 hours been like after your guy broke through and and won that UFC flyweight title? Wow, it's been a world of no sleep. Um, Eating a little bit of junk food. We're actually in Beverly Hills right now. (laughs) Uh, We stayed at at the Peninsula. Henry's mentor, Dave Zowine, got us a place here. And we'll probably be, be heading back to Arizona, but mostly, mostly a lot of media, social media, and just uh, reveling in the moment, cherishing this memory. Well, I know when you're underslept, it's basically like being drunk, so we're not going to keep you too long today, my man. Um, but as far as the fight was concerned, and then we'll get to all the big picture stuff for Henry and with your career, uh, close fight. Um, but all of us at the broadcast table, for whatever that's worth, thought Henry did enough to win this fight 3-2. What was your mindset when this fight went to the cards? Well, you know what? I've, I've been in fights where I thought my fighters have won, and then they get robbed. So I didn't know. I, I You know, I thought he did enough, but I wasn't sure what each individual, individual coach was thinking. So it was like I felt like I was winning the lottery waiting for that last number to be called. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and we just went wild. So it was definitely close. Did uh, you guys basic Eric? How you doing, man? First of all, congratulations. Uh, you've been with uh, Henry for such a long time, man. It must have been an amazing feeling. But uh, do you feel like you guys did what you wanted to do uh, in, in training and preparation for this fight uh, against Demetrius, or were there things that were kind of left on the table? No, we turned over every stone. We went to Brazil, we went to Holland, we went to Singapore, we got sports psychologists, we got the science down. I mean, there was a, I mean, I even went as far as to getting, studying Matt Hume like I was uh, studying for a final exam. I, I had one of our NeuroForce video editors, the guy who works for NeuroForce One, they got every Matt Hume one-minute interval between rounds just the interval, wow. just what he tells them, not the actual fight, just the intervals. There's like 50 minutes of it that I had. And I was actually watching that the day of the fight because I wanted it to be reading his mind and knowing exactly how he's going to try to adapt to Henry Cejudo. And uh, I was, uh, I, I could see part of it. I could see what he was doing. And I was yelling, yelling stuff out to Henry that I thought maybe that they were, according to the adaptations they were making between each round. How bad was Henry's ankle after that first round, man? Oh, my God. I, I thought it was over in the first 20 seconds. You know, my heart dropped, and uh, I just thought, wait a minute. This guy's in the best shape of his life. He wants this more than anything. It's not going to be over. I thought maybe him switching the southpaw could have left him open uh, for, uh, you know, for that straight, another straight punch or kick to the head in, in a base that he's not used to, but... You know, thank God it all worked out. Eric, how, how long have you been working with Henry? I, I just want you to kind of explain your history with Henry from the beginning a little bit. In 2004, he came to the Olympic Training Center uh, as a sophomore in high school, and uh, I was already at the Olympic Training Center training. Uh, I believe I was a lieutenant in the Army at the time, and just, you know, I saw him and his brother as, you know, people for kids from Arizona. And I saw a little bit of myself in them. Oh, he's 103 pounds when he first came. Um, and I just, you know, some, some, uh, sometimes I, 
these guys come to the Olympic Training Center and they get they get lost or forgotten about, and they get maybe they hang out with a lot older people and they start following the wrong things. And uh, I just wanted to be a mentor and say, listen, I've done these things wrong. Don't follow and don't make the same mistake as I did. I I usually don't say I'm always right, but I usually tell them I've done this wrong and don't do that. I suggest you don't follow in my footsteps. So that's kind of the way I kind of mentored him and, and how I saw him when I met him in 2004, you know, and then four years, a couple of, actually that same year, he's already beaten me in the wrestling room. And I was like, wow, maybe I should look at, think about retiring if I'm moving <laughs> to a high school kid. And then I went and just retired. And then uh, that by then I was a captain in the army and just, me and him just became great friends, him and his brother. You know, his brother Angel has always been the carrot in front of Henny that he's been chasing, and both of those guys are like brothers to me. And, and Eric, if there's one thing, obviously he brings so many different uh, talents to the table, but is there one thing that really stands out in Henry Cejudo that really told you this guy's something special? What, what is that thing? It's, it's, it's got to be his, his belief. It's got to be his mind. I mean, even in this camp, we've had, you know, we had ups and downs in the camp. And, and you know, he had different coaches giving him different advice. And, and he would just say, I got this. Believe me, don't be so worried. I'm an Olympic champion. I've been through adversity. I love these kinds of moments. This, this, this kind of pressure doesn't bother me. And uh, we just had to sit back and believe him. And, and he was right, you know. He he lives for these moments. He thrives in these moments, and that's what happened Saturday night. First, from the first round to overcoming an, you know, almost a broken ankle, to going out in the fifth round and and having more cardio than Demetrius Johnson, and yeah. beating the pound for pound greatest fighter of all time to win the UFC gold ten years after winning the Olympic gold. I mean, we may never see that again in history. Yeah. No, it's amazing. One of the truly great combat sports athletes of our lifetime, and thankfully he is now a UFC champion, so he is firmly in that conversation. His longtime chief corner, Eric Albatassin, with us on the Anakin Florian podcast. I know you've done great work with Team Noguera and a lot of different UFC fighters over the years, and not that you need validation for your ability as a coach. You understand the mental game, I think, as well as anybody who's in a UFC corner. Um, but does this win and the added spotlight that comes with it um, – validate all the time at least that you've put into to making henry and other fighters so great oh my god you just hit it right on the head i mean i i uh it's been a whirlwind you know i i, I went to team Nogueira after i got out the army and um went to california but after a california stint for a couple of years i was in a depressed mode living out of a car crying all the time and then i met Rodrigo Nilguerra, and he said, hey, I need you. I'm fighting Brandon Schaub. My brother's fighting Tito Ortiz. And he's like, tell me. Uh, he saw me in a, in a bad uh, situation in my life. He's like, hey, I can help you. I need you. You need me. You forget about whatever situation that's going on with you right now. Come to Brazil and coach us. And then from there, I went from uh, the U.S., going to Brazil, Staying there for three years with Tino Guerra, you know, we had the number one team in the world with Anderson Silva, Minotauro, Big Nog, Little Nog, Junior Dos Santos. At that time, both those guys had belts. Feijal had the belts. You know, the Pitbull right. brothers, and that's where it all started, where I met the Pitbull brothers, Patricio Patricchi, when they were just 22, 23 years old. 
and just uh, eventually uh, going to with the Pitbull brothers to Natal with them and getting a world title from Patricio and him becoming the greatest world champion of all time. But this one, this one is sweeter because of how it went down. You know, he lost two years ago in one, the two minutes, 36 seconds. And two years later, coming yeah. after the Santa Rosa fires where he almost died, he had to fight for his life. And we're talking just to live. We're not talking in the cage. Right. This was a real fire that, that killed 50 people. And, you know, Henry survived that. And here we are Saturday night. He comes out on top and beats the greatest fighter of all time to, to in my eyes, becoming the greatest combat athlete of all time. It's just amazing what it's had. It's surreal. It's a, it's a dream come true, and it's one of the greatest greatest moments in my life, and um, I'm, I'm real happy. And you deserve it, man, richly, and that is your rea reality right now. Henry Cejudo is the UFC flyweight champion. Very quickly, um, because I don't want to – leave without at least talking about Bo Hashinia, or I can't even call him that anymore, Paolo Costa. Um, but in terms of Henry's the immediate eraser. future. I called him the, yeah, eraser. the eraser. I named him the eraser. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I, I will get to him, and then you can, uh, we'll let you go. But I, in terms of Henry's immediate future, seems to have, have mastered this weight cut while also adding muscle to the midsection, which I think helped him with some of the body shots. But I mean, you are as intimately involved with him as anyone. Would you rather see him move up to 35 as he seems to want to do, or are there flyweight fights in his future? Oh, you know, they say right. he's real hurt, possibly torn LCL. But for the weight division, or, or just for Henry uh, in general, moving up is what he's been wanted. Um, back in, I think it was 177, UFC 177, Henry didn't make weight. But who also didn't make weight was uh, um, Hennon Burrell and TJ was at camp. And there was an opportunity where some of the guys from the UFC were asking about Henry going up and fighting TJ back then. Wow, and then man. I have it. Uh, last year, Henry was asked to text Dana White to fight TJ a year ago, June. I have the text message that he sent to Dana White, a screenshot of it. And then now, come Saturday, you know, he, he called him out. This has got to go down. Sky's the limit. Let's get two belts. Is he an Olympic gold medalist, flyweight champion of the world, uh, bantamweight champion of the world? Hell, we can, in a couple of years, he might grow into 145. <laughs> there you go. Tell Conor oh. McGregor and Max Holloway and Brian Ortega to get ready. All right, last thing. So the eraser, Paolo Costa has been on an absolute tear. Is it done for November, UFC 230 against Yoel Romero, or are we still waiting? Yeah, oh, uh, you know what? I'm not sure if it's done. There's been a lot of media about it. Everybody's, okay. you know, I, I want, boy, I know the eraser wants that fight, and, you okay. know, that's going to be awesome. If he, that's like a number one contender fight for me. If he could win that, we got yeah. another UFC title in, in the future. And Patricky Pitbull's also got another number one contender fight next month. So uh, everybody's doing great. All my fighters are feeding off each other, and we're trying to be the best. We're, we're trying to take over, basically. Well, you're well on your way, man, and there's a lot of respect from us coming to you today. And I didn't mean to put you on the spot on Paolo Costa, but hopefully that happens. He is Eric Albaracin. Congrats on a huge win, man. Career-defining for you. Hope you and Henry enjoy it. Send him our best, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, yeah, I got Henry right here. He wants to say hello. Oh, put hey, him what's on. Up? <laughs> what's up, John? I just want to say hi, hey, man. I just oh, uh, 
I, I, I hope I hope the pre-interview that I had with you guys prior to finding me, I hope you understand me a little bit better now. You know, we have spent the bulk of the show talking about you today, my man, and everything you've done over the past two years to put yourself in position to accomplish this. And, dude, I mean, you are as special as any athlete any of us has, have, have ever been around. And the fact that you capped this thing with a UFC championship, man, congratulations as sincerely as we can send them your way, bro. Yeah, no, I, I I appreciate it, John. I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you for everything you guys do for mixed martial arts, and uh, that's it, man. I just this this is the start to something great. All right, man. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll let you get to it. Thanks, bud. Congratulations, Henry. Thank you. Amazing. The Olympic gold medal. He, he said. He said one of the cool. He said one of the coolest things that like gave me chills. He he posts on his Instagram. I'm going to read it to you. He said, da, 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 da. Uh, now, the light at the end of the tunnel has disappeared. And today I realized there never was a light at the end of the tunnel. It was just a reflection of me. I am the light. And I, I, I thought that was amazing uh, that a guy yeah. who looked at it, he, he lost to Demetrius Johnson. He said, I'm going to face that again. He thought that was the motivation. Um, and in the end, he realized, you know, it was him. He was the guy. He was the guy who um, was going to do it. He had to beat himself more more than anything else. And the fact that he was able to get it done uh, was just unreal. And you heard some of the insights from Eric just in terms of how badly he wants it. And this is a motivational speaker who is a soft-spoken guy. There's such power in his words, but he's not trying to overpower you with bravado or his voice. But when he says to you, like, I got this, I'm the Olympic champion. I mean, that is Henry Cejudo in a nutshell. And he really believes without a shadow of a doubt that if there's an athletic competition, that he should be the best guy, you know, pound for pound in his weight class. And, you know, he just works so hard. I, I just don't think you can. I know it was a close fight, Flo, but I just don't think you can overstate how hard it is to beat someone like DJ over five rounds. No doubt about it, man. But if someone was going to get it done, it was Henry Cejudo. Because, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, you look at wrestling, man. Do you know how many uh, insane athletes there are just to make, like, the Russian national team? Just to represent oh, right. your country in a place like Iran or Russia uh, or, or Kazakhstan or all, all these, you know, high-level wrestling countries. Just to be the number one guy in your weight class, you've got to be a freaking savage. All right? Now, out of all those guys all over the world, Henry established himself as the very best. It, it takes unbelievable training, unbelievable belief in yourself. You know, you're talking about, you know, the access that he has to the best coaches in the world at the Olympic Training Center. You know, yeah. they have the best sports psychologists, uh, the best strength conditioning coaches, you know, experts on recovery and rest and sleep experts. And, I mean, he has so many different – you know, people that have helped him achieve that goal and carrying all that experience in, uh, in with him in this fight yeah. against Demetrius Johnson. Uh, I, I mean, again, if there was one guy who was going to get it done, it was going to be someone like Henry Cejudo. In 2008, the U.S. Olympic team went seven and nine overall. Four of those wins were Henry Cejudo, you know, and 10 yeah. years later, he's the UFC champion. And in terms of life hitting back and life not being fair, right? So Daniel Cormier is on top of the world, okay? July 7th, he becomes a simultaneous two-division UFC champion, okay? And one month later, right, a man accomplishes what no man has ever accomplished, an Olympic gold medal and a UFC championship. 
And given the way DC and Cejudo put that Olympic gold on a pedestal, you know, there was some part of Daniel Cormier sitting there four weeks later thinking, man, you know, I know I got it all, but Henry Cejudo has that Olympic gold too. And it, it's just interesting, yeah. uh, that little backdrop to it as well. Uh, all right, loaded show today. Nicely done, Ken Flo. We're going to let you get back to the to South Carolina sunshine. Thank you to our guests, Eric Albatacin, little cameo there from Henry Cejudo, the new flyweight king, uh, James Vick, Alex Perez, Ray Longo. Thanks, everybody, at Fox Sports for going three locations today. Uh, ben Janko, Jeff, John, Danny, everybody I'm forgetting. Uh, for Ken Flom, John, and thank you all for listening. Enjoy a week off from UFC action. We will talk to you in less than seven days. Until then, don't text and drive. you later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and Wagering Week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. 